0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books of Biography. I'm Mark Klobus, your host for the channel. Today I'm talking with Roger Biles about his book about the life and political career of Chicago Mayor Harold Washington, entitled Mayor Harold Washington, Champion of Race and Reform in Chicago. Roger, welcome to the show. Thank you. I wonder if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself.
1: Yes, I'm um, an emeritus professor of history at Illinois State University. Uh, I retired about two years ago, um, and although I'm not uh, teaching anymore, uh, I'm still active uh, as a scholar, and I'm researching and writing, and uh, uh, probably will continue to
0: do that for a little while. You have a very extensive body of works, including biographies of other Chicago mayors, such as Uh, Richard J. Daly, and uh, Edward Kelly. What was it that led you to decide to write a biography of Harold Washington?
1: Well, I sort of came to it uh, in a roundabout way. I was um, at the Harold Washington Library in Chicago uh, doing research in the special collections area, uh, doing research on another project, actually. And I was talking with the archivists there, and uh, one of them mentioned the fact that not many folks had gotten into the Harold Washington papers, uh, which the archivist said was surprising uh, to the people who worked there because it's a very large and rich manuscript collection. And so I started poking around in there and found it to be fascinating. And so uh, that's what led me to the project.
0: Harold Washington did lead this very interesting life and you describe how it began with his parents and this uh, very, uh, they're, how they were part of this great migration up to the north in the early 20th century. Uh, was Harold Washington, uh, could you explain a bit about his, his, his childhood and, and, and that influence that it had on his life?
1: Right. Well, his, uh, he, his parents were part of uh, what historians refer to as the Great Migration. Uh, that was the great migration of African Americans uh, from the South uh, to Northern and Western cities um, around the time of the First World War. And uh, Harold Washington was born in Chicago, born in Cook County Hospital, after his parents had uh, relocated there. And he grew up and effectively spent his whole life in Chicago, Um, went to the public schools there, Um, eventually was uh, educated at uh, Roosevelt University, which is located in Chicago, and then uh, Northwestern University Law School, which is uh, in
0: greater Chicago. So he, he spent most of his life in the city he also he struck me as having a very solitary life you you describe how he had this uh his his large his, this large family his mother had uh six children and uh yet he you i, I there's this uh, uh reference you make when he's mayor uh about how he just sort of dismisses his, his family as uh you know is, is they they're, they're kind of irrelevant he was married briefly for for uh, I- I early as a young man but he really did seem to have a career that was very much focused on uh, his life was very much focused on politics
1: well that's true um he uh was uh, a pretty solitary uh, character. He was, as you said, married early uh, before uh, his time in the Army and then uh, uh, the Second World War and then came back and was divorced um, and never got remarried. Um, And so uh, he was – Uh, pretty much of a loner uh, in many respects. Um, And a lot of people commented about that aspect of his personality. He was a politician, and he was very good at the kinds of things that politicians have to do, the kind of interactions and so forth. Uh, But in his personal life, he was... um, He was very careful to um, uh, put a wall around himself, and and not many people uh, felt that they
0: knew him terribly well. How did he get started in politics? What was it that that, that drew him to it, and, and how did he begin his ascent?
1: Well, he, he uh, got involved in politics early on because of his father, basically. His father was uh, involved in politics on Chicago's south side. Uh, his father was a very well-known and influential precinct captain uh, in the Democratic Party. Um, and really, from uh, his earliest days, Harold Washington uh, tagged along behind his father and handed out leaflets and, and canvassed and these sorts of things. And he just grew up uh, with politics as an important part of his
0: household. How did he did he start out uh, in basically as, as part of an organization? Did he start out, you know, as an independent? And, and how did he, that ultimately translate into public office?
1: Well he uh, grew up as a, uh, as a member of the uh, Democratic Party in Chicago which of course his father was an important member of and at that time uh, as many uh, I think people will recall uh, the Democratic Party was uh, a power in Chicago uh, there has not been if I'm if I'm correct about this there's not been a Republican uh, mayor in Chicago since the early 1930s chicago has been a, a democratic uh, bastion for a long time so washington grew up as a as a loyal a Democratic Party member, and uh, was elected to his first offices uh, in the uh, Illinois State Legislature as a as a loyal Democrat, um, and later on
0: developed a, a sort of independence. But in the beginning, he was very much a party man. That's interesting because you you set that in the context of the time, which was a time when, uh, as you described, when his when his father was starting out. Uh, African-Americans tended to be more Republican than Democrat. And uh, you describe people like Oscar DePriest, who was you know, this famous uh, congressman from, from Chicago, African-American and a Republican. And, and I thought it was very interesting about how, uh, it, you know, in, in, this, in terms of his father, how you, he, that became that fit. And it was very fortuitous in the, in the sense that he became part of this operation that was so important to Chicago politics.
1: Right. I think uh, probably a lot of listeners will know that uh uh uh, African-American voters were very loyal generally to the Republican Party in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Uh, the Republican Party, of course, was the party of Lincoln and the party of emancipation. Um, and so the big switch uh, from the Republican to the Democratic Party for uh, most African-Americans didn't begin until the 1930s, uh, 1940s and so forth. Um, And uh, Harold Washington's father was part of that movement uh, of Chicago blacks from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And so Harold Washington simply grew up in that in that environment.
0: I think that's one of the point we should probably address before we move into uh, Harold Washington's time in, in, in the state legislature, and that is his role in the machine. This is the time when uh, the mayor of Chicago is Richard J. Daley. He serves as mayor for over two decades, and he has this very famous electoral machine. And It's one that uh, you know, has received a lot of study, in, 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 in including you know, by yourself, and, and, and yet I think it needs a bit of explanation because what would, how exactly did this machine function, and how did African-Americans such as Harold Washington play a role in that machine? Because I, I, found, I, I, I think that's important in terms of understanding what happens a little bit later on in his career. Right.
1: Well, by the time that that uh, Harold Washington was growing up, uh, the Democratic uh, machine in Chicago, which is, you know, usually referred to as the last of the great urban political machines, uh, really had uh, strong control of the city. And African-Americans uh, in Chicago were, by the 1950s and 1960s, very loyal supporters of the Democratic Party. Um, and so Washington grew up in a situation in which, um, uh, blacks on the south side of Chicago, which is where he grew up, uh, inevitably it seemed voted for the Democrats, voted for Richard J. Daley. That began to change later on, by the way, but, but uh, when uh, Washington was coming of age politically, uh, there really seemed to be just one alternative for, for African-American voters, and that was to vote for uh, Richard J. Daley and for the Democrats. And so when, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, Washington became involved in politics initially, he was uh, what was known as an organization Democrat. He was loyal to Daley and loyal to the organization. And uh, that's literally how he got started in politics. He ran for the state legislature and was elected as a machine Democrat.
0: You describe his career in the state legislature, and, and you point out that he you know, generally was a loyal uh, member of of the Democratic Caucus and, and and the Daily Organization, but you also explained that he had these periods of independence. It, it, you, it, what you describe is, is it sounds like it, he was walking this tightrope between his the you know the the survival of his career on the one side and the 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 demands of his conscience on the other.
1: Yes, and I think that I think that. Uh... Uh, represented a kind of evolution for him. I believe that when he first went down to Springfield, went to the state legislature, which was in the mid 1960s, um, I think he was uh, a loyal, as I said, a loyal Democrat and somebody who pretty much followed the dictates of the machine. Um, they used to tell the story about how uh, the representatives uh, from Chicago would would go to the. Uh, uh, General Assembly every morning, and they would be given what were called their idiot sheets. And these were simply pieces of paper that um, listed the, the legislation that would be coming up for a vote that day, and the legislators were told how to vote. As a member of the, of the uh, Chicago machine, this is what you're expected to do. Um, there was no explanation. There was no discussion. This is the way you vote. And I think uh, <clears throat> Washington did that for a while, uh, but I think it, it bothered him, and uh, he had some questions. Uh, and at that time, as a, as a Chicago Democrat who was uh, representing the city uh, in the state legislature, you didn't ask questions. Uh, you simply uh, accepted your marching orders and you did what you were told to do. And over time, he began to exhibit a little bit more independence. He began to ask questions. And occasionally, when he was bothered enough, uh, he began to vote the other way. And that caused a certain amount of friction uh, with uh, Mayor Daley back in Chicago. And uh, over time, uh, Washington developed a reputation of, of an independent, somebody who uh, uh, often voted his own conscience. And, of course, that was something that, that was not really
0: uh, valued very highly back in, <laughs> in City Hall in Chicago. How is it then that he was able to survive? Well, why didn't the Daily Machine try to turn him out in favor of someone who was more uh, uh, you know, willing to, uh, able to toe the line?
1: Right. Well, I think there are a couple of uh, <coughs> explanations to that. Part of the answer to your question is simply that they did try on a couple of occasions um, and selected somebody to run against him. But um, he was, in fact, a very good... Uh, First of all, uh, a representative and then second of all, a state senator. Um, And his constituents really liked him. They thought that he did a very good job of of representing them. Um, He worked very hard. um, And so um, he was simply able to withstand a lot of that pressure. Um, Now, I don't, you know, I certainly don't want to overstate this. I I don't want to create the impression that that Washington did whatever he wanted to do all the time because he didn't. Um, I think he picked his spots. Um, I think when an issue came along that was of particular importance to him, uh, then he would would go his own way and – and uh, ignore his marching orders um, and, and as i said he did it often enough that that he started to get a reputation in chicago uh but i also think that that he was, uh, as you said, sort of walking a, a tightrope. Um, he had his own ideas. He was something of an independent person himself. Uh, but at the same time, he recognized that, that politically it was important for him um, to remain in the good graces of the political machine. So
0: I think for a number of years, it was a delicate balancing act for him. Was that independence a factor in 1977 when he was first being discussed as a mayoral candidate?
1: Uh, Yes, I think, um, you know, one of the points I make in the book is that by the 1970s and 1980s, a number of cities in the country, a number of big cities in the U.S. had elected uh, black mayors. Um, But that had not happened in Chicago. Chicago, of course, was Well, at first, the second largest city in the country and then uh, surpassed by Los Angeles, but one of the largest cities in the country and one of the few that had not elected a black mayor. Uh, And there were a number of African-Americans in Chicago uh, by that time, by the 1970s, who were very unhappy, and they felt that they'd uh, been loyal supporters of the political machine for literally decades, but they weren't getting enough in return, and they began to question uh, Mayor Daley. They began to uh, register their displeasure with with some of the decisions coming out of City Hall, uh, and so there were rumblings of um, independence and suggestions that that blacks should run one of their own for mayor. <clears throat> they they attempted it in 1975. Um, But that really didn't go anywhere. Another uh, African-American ran and didn't do terribly well. But then in 1977, the opportunity uh, came around again after Mayor Daley uh, had died. And um, uh, the Chicago black community chose uh, Washington to run for mayor. And uh, by that time, the feeling was that he was uh, probably uh, the the most successful, the best-known African-American politician in the city. Uh, he'd had a very uh, uh, distinguished career in the state legislature, and people thought he would be the best candidate. And by 1977, I think Washington had, had pretty much decided that, that the, um, the connection with the political machine had, had been
0: severed, and he was ready to make that run. So he makes, uh, so he he does this, and how well does it turn out for him?
1: Well, not very well. Uh, you know, <laughs> there had been a lot of disgr- a lot of disgruntlement. Uh, African Americans were very unhappy. Um, the African American population in Chicago had increased tremendously, but the problem was, even though the african american population uh, was was quite significant by that time the number of registered voters were not and so uh when washington ran in in 77 uh he didn't do terribly well um, and, and he, of course, he wasn't <laughs> very happy about that and simply said to uh, other leaders in the African-American Comer- uh, community, well, this is you – know, this just isn't going to happen. Uh, don't come back and ask me again until uh, certain conditions are met. And the first condition, of course, is the, the mass registration of, of African-American voters.
0: So what you're describing basically is sort of this sleeping giant of, of a populace, and and, and and there's another factor that that you mentioned in your book as well a little bit later on, which is how this is happening at a time when you're seeing in the, with the civil rights movement, African Americans are beginning to uh, become more organized uh, for for, uh, uh, for their own uh, you know needs. They're beginning to Uh, You know, mobilize more. And and it seems like that hasn't happened quite yet in Chicago. And and, and that that's sort of the condition that distinguishes uh, 1977 from 1983. Am I reading that correctly?
1: I think so. Um, yeah, I've talked a little bit about the the numbers problem. That is uh, the fact that um, there just weren't the number of <coughs> wasn't the number of registered uh, Black voters to make a difference. The other problem too was was a kind of factionalization in the Black community. There were lots of different groups, um, civil rights groups, um, Black what were then called black power groups um, and so on and so forth. And one of the conditions that had to be met was that all of these different groups had to coalesce and uh, back a single candidate and work in unison. And that was another problem too. it just wasn't happening in Chicago as, as quickly as it had happened in some other communities. So um, that, that kind of unity wasn't there in 1977.
0: But it was by 1983. So what does Harold Washington do in the interim? Does he stay in the state legislature or does he look for a a different office?
1: Well, he, as I said, he served uh, several terms in the Illinois House uh, and then moved up to the Illinois Senate serving two terms there, uh, and then in 1980 decided to run for the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, the person who had represented Chicago from uh, the first congressional district um, was no longer in the picture, and uh, by all accounts, Washington was, uh, was the best uh, best known and, and the most capable African American candidate. So he ran for the U.S. House uh, and was elected uh, overwhelmingly in 1980 and then was reelected uh, again in 1982. So he went off to Washington.
0: One of the, the uh, points you make in, in, in the, uh, that section is how quickly he engaged with the conservative revolution that was taking place in Washington, D.C. And I, I like the fact that you you know, make it of a piece with his later work, uh, his, his later uh, issues as a mayor, because it was, it, it, in a sense, this entire period of his career from when he goes to Congress uh, until his death is, is uh, bracketed by uh, the, the Reagan presidency and how he is engaging with it first as a congressman and then as a mayor. How does he respond to it and, and what does that do for his profile?
1: That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Harold Washington uh, got elected and went off to uh, serve in the U.S. Congress at the same moment that Ronald Reagan was sworn in as president. Um, and during the rest of his life, uh, during the rest of Harold Washington's life, Ronald Reagan was in the White House. Um, well, when Washington went off to Washington, um, he did so with the reputation in Illinois and the state legislature of being a real progressive – um, and somebody who uh, was opposed, really, to just about everything that Ronald Reagan stood for. And one of the things that's interesting about Washington, when he got to Congress, um, is that unlike a lot of other freshman congressmen, he didn't he didn't really wait, uh, sit on the back bench and observe and wait his time. He became very active and very outspoken from the very beginning and outspoken in a way that was consistently uh, critical of Ronald Reagan, uh, critical of Reagan uh, in terms of foreign policy, in terms of domestic policy. Uh, he was really uh, uh, rough on the new president and quickly uh, earned the reputation of being one of Reagan's most vocal critics uh, on Capitol Hill.
0: You mentioned that this didn't Exactly hurt his standing in the Democratic Caucus, and that he was seen by a lot of people as a rising star, and and, and which is why I, I find his decision to to run nineteen eighty three so interesting because it seemed like at this point he had these career options open to him. Mm-hmm. What made him decide to make another run for being mayor?
1: Well, yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, when he was in Washington D.C. and the um speculation continued about him returning and running for mayor in Chicago, uh, he uh, told lots of people, including uh, some newspaper reporters, that he loved being a U.S. congressman. It was a great life. Uh, he felt that he could make a real difference there. Uh, he enjoyed the work uh, and so on and so forth. Um, And at the same time, as we've mentioned, he had sort of a rough experience a few years earlier when he ran for mayor and really just didn't get anywhere. Uh, He was, um, I think, very cautious and very wary about that. But ultimately, I suspect the thing that that persuaded him to go back and run for mayor is that um, it's something that he'd wanted to do for a long time. Uh, as I mentioned before, he'd spent his whole life, virtually his whole life in Chicago. Uh, he saw himself as being um, a Chicagoan, and he saw himself as somebody who could make a real difference in the city, uh, particularly for his constituents. Um, and because of events back in Chicago, I think he felt that the political situation in 1983 looked a lot Better than it had in 1977. I think he thought it was it was possible to win, um, and he wasn't just tilting at windmills anymore. This was a different situation, and I think that played
0: in his decision too. So, what was the what were the conditions of the 1983 mm-hmm. mayoral race? Who uh, uh, whom was he running against, and what were the issues that were defining the race?
1: Well, um, in 1983, the, the, the race for mayor ended up being a, essentially a, a three-sided race within the Democratic Party. Um, now, at that time, that meant it was essentially a three-sided race, period, because, as, as we know, uh, the Democrats won the mayoralty time and time again. That's just the way it was. Um, and so whoever got the Democratic nomination for mayor was expected to be elected, um, and so it, 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 it boiled down to three candidates: uh, Richard M. Daly, the son of the former mayor Richard J. Daly, uh, and Jane Byrne, who was the incumbent, and Harold Washington, who was the uh, the black candidate. And at least for most of the beginning of the, of the Democratic uh, primary campaign, most people in Chicago, and this was a thought that was heavily uh, supported by the press, most people thought that the race boiled down to Byrne versus Daly, and that Washington was something of an afterthought. He, his candidacy really wasn't taken uh, terribly seriously for a long time.
0: You describe how the conditions that he had uh, rec- <laughs> he had set in nineteen after nineteen seventy seven were in fact met. That the that he you describe how they he expected mm-hmm. he, he he insisted that there be uh, I think it was what fifty thousand registered voters and that so much right. money be raised and how that was done for him, which, which uh, to me speaks to the the sense that that many people had, that they wanted him to run, that, that they uh, wanted him to, to stand up in this race and that he had a strength that, uh, that people like uh, Mayor Byrne and a lot of the prognosticators of Chicago politics really seemed to miss at that time.
1: Right. He had originally um, uh, said to uh, the black community, um, you've got to register 50,000 more voters and raise a lot of money or I'm not going to go through this again. And so um, it turns out that a, v- a variety of organizations uh, in the community uh, ended up raising, uh, ended up registering over 100,000 new voters. So more than doubled uh, the number he'd thrown out there. And they raised a lot of money. And as you say, I think that was because people recognized that that Harold Washington was their best candidate. And if they were going to have a chance, uh, they would have to entice him to run again.
0: And I, I think it's a very important point, too, in another respect, which is you, you describe how he, during his campaign, it, it, it's, it's a very uh, unusual campaign in the sense that it's not an establishment campaign. It's not an insurgent wow. campaign. It's schizophrenic in that it's both. <laughs> and and to talk about how it, yeah. it, you, you presented it, as, it was something that was almost that was essentially necessary for him to pull together right. the votes.
1: Right. There were different groups um, who supported him, um, and the, the one thing that united them was the fact that they wanted to elect a black mayor, and they were convinced that Harold Washington was their best chance. But, but many of those groups didn't really agree on much else. Um, there were uh, a series of uh, sort of militant uh, black power uh, people in the, in the community who approached the election um, in a certain way, and then there were other sort of more mainstream uh, types um, who saw things differently. There were some white liberals uh, who were ended up being important in the campaign, and they often disagreed about a lot of things. Uh, the one thing that kept them together was the notion that you know they needed to pull together to, to elect this guy, Harold Washington. And um, there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of tension uh, between and among those groups. And uh, I think uh, Washington realized that he needed the, that support. He needed to, to bring together a lot of different uh, groups. And so... You know, he had to
0: manage that tension, which he did. He succeeds in winning the Democratic nomination. And as you said, you know, in, in you know in most years, that would be the, the end of the story. He could start picking out the pattern of the drapes in, in the mayor's office. But in 1983, of course, it's very different. You, you actually have uh, the, this dramatic shift that takes place, which really, I think, speaks to just how <laughs> momentous Washington's uh, election was. Right.
1: Um, After winning, um, defeating his two Democratic candidates, um, Washington and and his folks uh, began looking ahead. They started to discuss who they would bring into their cabinet and and began writing policy papers and and playing with budget numbers and so on and so forth. Their assumption was that that was the end of that. Uh, The Republicans were uh, running a, a candidate by the name of Bernard Epton. Uh, who had served for a number of years in the Illinois state legislature, in fact, uh, he and Harold Washington uh, had gotten along pretty well in the in the House for many years they 'd uh, co authored bills um, they were on, certainly on very good terms. Uh, Epton was considered a, a kind of a minor political figure. Um, But then again, the Republicans didn't think there was much hope of winning, so they nominated him. Well, lo and behold, uh, something shocking happened. It wasn't Daley and it wasn't Byrne. It was Harold Washington uh, who got the Democratic nomination. And that was, um, as I said, a real shocker in Chicago in 1983 because of race. And um, folks just couldn't wrapped their minds around the idea of having a black mayor in Chicago. It, it was just something that that people were un, uh, an awful lot of people were uncomfortable with, um, and so um, great numbers of Democrats uh, deserted their party and and announced their intention to vote for Epton, uh, and all of a sudden, um, Epton's chances, which. You know, previously had seemed negligible, uh, seemed very real, and it
0: became a real election. One of the issues that uh, was uh, came out of the race is the question of just how much support he was getting from the uh, from the Democratic organization, and this mm-hmm. is where you introduce the the, the figure of Edward uh, Verdoliak. And he plays this right. huge role in, in, in over the uh, in, in terms of uh, of uh, Washington's mayoralty. I was wondering if you could perhaps introduce him a little bit and explain uh, sort of what his position was at this time, and and what and and, and how he comes to uh, shape so much of of the mayoralty that Washington uh, enjoyed.
1: Yeah, Eddie Verdoliak was an alderman from the tenth ward, and he. Uh, had been elected many years before. He was known as one of the most powerful uh, aldermen in the Chicago city council. He was uh, something of a, um, gee, what do I say? He was, <laughs> he was a controversial figure. Um, he was, uh, something of a rascal, I guess. Um, he was, uh, uh, flamboyant and, um, uh well as i say controversial maybe says it best um and he was also at that time, by that time, he was the uh, chairman of the Democratic uh, Party in Cook County. So he was a very powerful figure, um, arguably the most powerful figure in the city council. And the white opposition to uh, Harold Washington's election in 1983 galvanized around uh, Eddie Rodoliak.
0: He, he's walking a, a something of, of a tightrope of his own during this period, which is that he has to stay – He, he he's, he's representing the party. Washington's the official nominee. But as you describe as well, Verdoliak mm. also has ambitions for the mayor's office himself.
1: Well, you know, that was something about Verdoliak that <clears> – <throat> Chicagoans had had believed for years that he, you know, he had his sights set on the mayor's office going back into the back into the 60s and 70s. Um, he was a very ambitious politician, um, and yeah, uh, he he was walking a bit of a tightrope in the sense that you know you would normally expect that the chairman of the of the party would do everything he could do to mobilize. Um, The party members and the voters behind their candidate. And yet here's Verdoliak uh, leading, in a sense, um, surreptitiously at times, not so surreptitiously at other times, um, the opposition. People are deserting the Democratic Party. They say they're going to vote for Bernard Epton one would suppose that Verdoliak would be
0: doing everything he could do to stop that. But in fact, he wasn't. <laughs> so being yet, in spite of all this, Washington wins the election and becomes the, uh, the mayor of, 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 Chicago. What was, what were his, his plans for Chicago at this point? What, 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 did he want to do for Chicago? And in what ways did it differ from what previous mayors such as Byrne and, and, and the elder Daly had done for Chicago? right well
1: um this is one of i think one of the major points if not the major point that i I would like to make in the book, and that is that that uh, Washington um wanted to reform the system we hear a lot about that word right reform what is a reformer after all uh, well, Washington had to establish something of a reputation over the years as somebody who um Jousted with the Democratic machine, he, uh, was very critical of it. And at least initially, there were a lot of folks who, who didn't really believe all of his rhetoric. They thought that was just um, you know, what he needed to say to get elected. But, but I take him very seriously. And I think if you go back and look at the kinds of things he was saying going back, let's say, into the 1970s and into the, the 1983 election – um, I think that he had uh, some real designs on, on how to reform Chicago, uh, beginning with a, a, a series of uh, papers that he put out called the, what became known as the Washington Papers, and then a document the titled Chicago Works Together. I think if you look at those two documents – Um, It's a pretty straightforward blueprint for how Washington wanted to reform uh, city government in Chicago. He talked about things, uh, for example, like fairness and transparency and neighborhood empowerment, balanced economic growth. One of his... uh, 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 strongest, uh, I think, values was this notion of fairness. He argued that, you know, the political machine that had ruled in Chicago for so long was just inherently unfair. And he used to like to say, I just love this. uh, He used to like to say, no one, but no one in this city will be safe from my fairness. and he, he argued that, that more than anything else, that would be the organizing principle of his government. He was going to bring resources to people who'd been ignored for years. He was going to preside over fair distribution of resources uh, in the city. Uh, he was going to make sure that not all of the city's resources went into um, downtown, but that the neighborhoods – uh, be given um, uh, attention, really, in some cases, for the first time, and so those were the kinds of, of reforms I think that that he was uh, concerned with, and I think it explains uh, to a great degree why the opposition to him was so was so virile, because he um, uh, not just race, but he also
0: threatened. Uh, the status quo in a very real way. You described how it, in the previous administrations the focus was you know, very loop centric. The idea is they developed the downtown business that Chicago is, as a whole will benefit indirectly, and how Washington saw it as you know as as you know needing to you know do more to ensure that the other neighborhoods benefited, and that and, and that it, it combined that with was with, with an effort that was much more bottom up rather than the. Top-down approach that had become the norm in Chicago for so long, right? Um,
1: and and he, I think he went went to uh, great lengths to explain that that he wasn't really talking about starving the downtown um, and ignoring it all But basically, he was saying, look, for for decades, all of the of the resources have gone into the downtown, and what I'm talking about is leveling things off here a bit, Uh, taking some of those resources and making sure that they get out to the neighborhoods. Because let's face it, uh, the trickle down just isn't trickling down as much as some people would, would like to have us believe. So we need to make sure that um, all of the people, regardless of race or ethnicity or gender or anything else, um, are sharing
0: uh, in whatever bounty there is in the city. He's advocating this in the face of a number of headwinds, and the most prominent of them mm-hmm. was the opposition within the city council. I was wondering if you could explain a bit the, the city council uh, organization uh, and, and, and how, and how it was that they were able to uh, frustrate so much of his agenda throughout most of his first term.
1: Right. This is what uh, the local media referred to as the council wars uh, that lasted uh, really for about the first three-fourths of Washington's uh, first term. Um, It's a 50-person city council, in chicago and after the 1983 election uh, washington's opponents numbered 29 and his supporters numbered 21. now because of that numerical difference um his opponents did not have enough votes to override a mayoral veto but obviously washington's supporters didn't have enough votes to pass legislation. And so the, the situation in Chicago just degenerated into a kind of a very bitter standoff. Um, and, and I would emphasize bitter because um, aldermen in, in city council chambers uh, frequently uh, insulted each other, occasionally got into shoving matches and so on and so forth, and essentially not much got done. Um, And so this was the situation that pervaded uh, Chicago for several years. Um, And as you can well imagine, uh, many people became very frustrated. Uh, Chicagoans were uh, very concerned about the uh, inadequacy of municipal government. Some people blamed Washington uh, for his failure to compromise and to work with his opponents. Uh, On the other hand, of course, his supporters said, well, the the opposition is 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 blunting him at every turn. They're just not uh, cooperating him, uh, cooperating with him. And and uh, for those folks who who might be uh, thinking about that, I would I would suggest perhaps one parallel is the difficulty that uh, President Barack Obama had with the Republican Congress at one time. Um, not a perfect
0: comparison but but useful i think yet in spite of this washington did enjoy some successes what what successes was he able what what accomplishments was Mm -hmm. he able to achieve And, and and how was he able to uh ultimately surmount this challenge that was being posed by uh the redoli act 29 well um
1: in many ways it's very unfortunate that he ran into that kind of situation because, as his opponents liked to gloat, uh, many of his appointments to to various positions in in city government and many of the uh, bills that he hoped would would pass didn't um, and so there was a, a kind of uh, log jam there, and that's you know terribly frustrating for him. He did manage to get some things done. Of course, in some cases, he could issue executive uh, uh, orders. Uh, In in some creative ways, he could try to bypass the city council. But there were other ways, of course, in which he couldn't. Uh, In my view, um, he did manage to do some really uh, positive things. One of the things he did that I think had a real significance, and and people saw it immediately, had to do with uh, the city budget. Now, traditionally, in Chicago, the way it worked is that the mayor uh, the mayor's office would construct a budget uh, which had to be approved by the City council uh, by the end of the calendar year, so the mayor's office would send it over around the first of December or so uh, to the city council, and they would rubber stamp it and and, and uh, because after all, it was controlled by the machine. And that would be the budget making process. Well, what Washington began to do is that he and his uh, members of his administration would go out around the city and they would have, (coughs) excuse me, they would have uh, open budget meetings in neighborhoods throughout the community, um, engaging with the people of Chicago about what the priorities should be in the budget, and then they would go back to City Hall and they would construct a first draft, in a sense, of the budget. Then they would go back out and hold public hearings uh, to get feedback. And then finally, uh, in November, they would send the budget to the City Council. And in that way, they really involved the, the, the citizens directly in the budget-making Uh, process which i think was very important because it allowed people to to register what their priorities were what should the city be spending its money on uh how much money um and so on and so forth well of course the city council you know fought him tooth and nail about that and and there had to be uh, compromises made and so forth but it's that kind of thing i think that that showed Chicagoans that there, there was an alternative, that city government uh, didn't have to be secretive and that it was possible to have people uh, participate uh, in the government. Another thing that the Washington <coughs> administration did that I think was useful is that it attempted to uh, provide uh, seed money out in the neighborhoods uh, for local industries Uh, providing money for local neighborhood uh, organizations to go out and recruit. Uh, Washington and his folks believe that um, as we moved from an industrial to a post-industrial age, and as a lot of businesses were closing in Chicago, a lot of industry was fleeing the city, that one effective response could be, smaller industries and smaller businesses that would be located in the neighborhoods, that you didn't have to go out and, and uh, recruit huge corporations, but that it would be possible to at least make up for part of the loss by uh, setting your site somewhat lower. And so there was a kind, again, a kind of decentralization uh, economically as well.
0: You also describe how in 1985, there's a uh, federal judge who determines that the uh, district that the aldermanic districts have been gerrymandered uh, in a way that that uh, disenfranchised African Americans, Latinos, and how that helped to change things around. And that points to uh, also the the degree to which uh, Harold Washington had, you know, come to power, not just on the strength of African-Americans and, and, and a few white liberals, but through, through a rainbow coalition and how that ends up playing a role in the dynamics of the 1987 mayoral election when he runs for a second term.
1: Right. Uh, that re, that uh, court decision was very important because um, it required, first of all, in 1986, it required special aldermanic elections to address that gerrymandering, and it required um, uh, special elections in seven wards, um, which were held. And as a result of those special elections, for the first time, uh, the opponents of Harold Washington no longer had a working majority in the city council. Uh, 29-21, of course, had been the count previously, but after those 1986 special elections, uh, it ended up with a 25-25 split, and because when there was a tie, the mayor uh, cast the deciding vote, that for the first time then gave uh, the Washington uh, coalition um, control of the city council, and that was very important. Uh, for, you know, for breaking through in some areas and getting some things done that that couldn't be done previously, and also served as, as you say, a kind of harbinger uh, of what his re-election would be like the following year, 1987, uh, he came up for re-election.
0: As you describe, in some ways, the uh... The breakthrough breakthrough, the deadlock, the, the the change in the in the balance on the city council didn't really didn't help him in the sense that all of a sudden there were these raised expectations. And I thought the dynamic with uh, the Latino population was especially interesting because of how uh, Jane Byrne in particular uh, targeted the Latino population in her bid to uh, take the mayor's office mayor's office back from uh, Washington.
1: Right. Um, after losing in 1983, uh, Jane Byrne, um, I think, pretty much started campaigning for, for 1987 almost immediately. And, and one of the things that she did was to uh, target the Latino population in Chicago as an area uh, where she thought she could do very well. Um, and so she began spending a lot of time <clears throat> in places like Little Village and um, and Pilsen, uh, the real Latino uh, neighborhoods of Chicago and, and going to festivals and, and uh, making uh, commercials uh, in Spanish on television, this sort of thing, uh, to endear herself with Latino voters. Um, the Latino uh, vote in 1983 had been imp- an important part of the Washington uh, Rainbow Coalition. Um, and you know, Jane Byrne thought she was going to do something about that. Ultimately, she didn't, of course. Um, she did attempt to uh, run again in 1987, but her, her campaign really didn't go anywhere. And, and Washington again uh, in a in a in a bitter campaign, perhaps not quite as bad as the 1983 one, but uh, another tough campaign in 1987. He was able to uh, narrowly win reelection.
0: And in that reelection, it, it, you describe it, it's, it's very curious how you have basically facing three other candidates, including uh, Verdoliak, who is doesn't run against uh, Washington in the primaries, but, you know, adopts a third party label. So and then you have uh, another, uh, uh, another Democrat, uh, uh, Hines running. And it just really gives a sense as to it, it, as to just the, you know, how how dramatically the politics had shifted in Chicago by 1987, and yet Washington rises above that and 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 succeeds in, in, in winning another term for himself.
1: Well, he did win another term for himself. Um and yet, I think somewhat sadly, after the election was over, he was, he was in some ways quite bitter about it. Um, he had just served four years uh, in the mayor's office, thought that he had done some really good things despite staunch opposition, um, and really couldn't understand why he didn't win any more votes in 1987 than he did in 1983. Um, and in fact, if you go back and look at the election numbers very carefully, there were fewer people who voted for Harold Washington in 1987 than did in 1983. And he was very bitter about that. He, uh, he talked to folks uh, off the record, behind the scenes, about how um, upset he was, um, how it appeared to him as though – Uh, Whites in Chicago were desperately seeking seeking any alternatives they could so that they didn't have to vote for him. Um, And uh, yet, as you say, uh, he was, again, able to cobble together uh, enough of a coalition, African Americans, Latinos and and white liberals
0: uh, to hang on to the office. And he enters the second term, and there's a lot of, of opportunity ahead of him. You describe how he's focused on consolidating his base on on strengthening it you, you talk about his agenda and then it all comes to this very tragic end uh, it, uh, later in the year what was what were his what was his plan going forward and and then uh, and then uh, then could you describe a bit the 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 you know what happened uh, with his uh, death
1: Right. Well, after his, after his election in uh, April of uh, 1987, uh, he and his people got together very quickly and started to sketch out uh, a, a large-scale plan for the next four years. They talked about what they could do now, finally, with a, a, a majority uh, in the city council, how they could make infrastructure improvements, and, and how they could bring more uh, to the neighborhoods, and so on and so forth. He really had a pretty um, uh, lengthy agenda about what could be done. As I said, this was in April. Um, and then in November, which is what, gosh, I should do my math, six, seven months later, um, he suddenly just uh, died of, of a heart attack. Um, and it, you know, it was tragic in many ways. After such a difficult time for so long, he was finally in a position uh, to do something. And almost immediately, he uh, he died very suddenly. And that
0: was the end of it. You describe how the nature, uh, I mean, the, the, the suddenness of his death, you know, it, it, led to a lot of speculation uh, among many of his supporters that he had been assassinated. And, and yet you describe it also as well of the idea that the, the mayoralty did take a physical toll upon him in a lot of ways.
1: Yes, it did. I mean, uh, when uh, yeah, there was a, a sense that he was a very uh, hardy, a very vital man, there was really no uh, indication that he was sick. Uh, prior to uh, to his death, he just literally uh, was sitting at his desk one day and uh, in a meeting and then just uh, his head dropped over hit hit the desk and and he was dead almost instantly from a massive uh, heart attack uh, and so there was in the <clears throat> at the outset um, a lot of questions about that, particularly in the african American community uh, people were skeptical uh, in that uh, racially charged environment there were there were uh, charges that that there might have been some uh, uh, there might have been something going on behind the scenes um, uh, a lot of conspiracy theories that floated around and so on and so forth but uh, very quickly they did an autopsy and and uh, the medical people said that uh, he had he had died of, uh, of a massive heart attack. Many of his, uh, uh, arteries and valves around his heart were enlarged and blocked. Um, he just wasn't in very good shape. Um, estimates are that he had gained in, in the four years he'd been in the mayor's office. He'd gained nearly a hundred pounds, um, from you know, too much campaigning and not enough exercising. Um, and so he really, uh, you know really was not despite out outward appearances all that healthy
0: what happened to the changes that he had implemented while he was mayor what what was what, you know what uh elements of his of his uh legacy endured
1: well that's you know that's an interesting question and and there are some some scholars and and some other folks who'd been around at that time who've debated that that question um there are <laughs> some Some scholars, for example, who argued that he that his mayoralty was a kind of one off um, that it was an aberration that he managed to sort of break the hold the political hold of the democratic machine in Chicago as long as he was alive, but then pretty quickly after his death. Uh, came Richard M. Daley, the son of Richard J. Daley, um, and that it was politics as usual fairly quickly afterwards. Um, and But on the other hand, there are people who say, well, Washington did make something of a difference. He showed um, Chicagoans and others what could be achieved. Um, and most importantly, Um, What if Harold had lived, they say? What if he had been able to uh, implement many of the uh, plans that he had drawn up? If he'd been around for another term or two terms, uh, for example, uh, look at what he might have achieved if he'd been able to re-energize the neighborhoods and if he'd been able to institute an element of openness and fairness, uh, and Chicagoans became accustomed to that. Uh, That might have been a great uh, change in the nature of, of, of Chicago
0: politics and government. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time, but before we go, could you tell us what you're working on now?
1: Well, I'm, yeah. Um, another historian, a uh, friend of mine, Mark Rose, and I are working on a project uh, that deals with deindustrialization and American cities. How have uh, large American cities that were um, vital, vitally important in the World War II effort in this country, uh, the peak industrial cities, Uh, in the 1940s and 1950s, how have they attempted to adjust to the many changes that have happened in recent years? And what we're doing is we're looking at uh, five cities, um, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, St. Louis, and Philadelphia, and trying to determine uh, what those cities have attempted to do and how successful they've been. Why has Chicago, for example, seemingly fared better than, well, Detroit, uh,
0: and so forth? So that's the, that's the current project. Hmm, sounds like a fascinating project. Roger, thank you very much. Well, su- we hope. <laughs> uh, Roger, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule to speak with us. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks a lot.